Matt, it's uh, almost the holiday season uh, here in almost. the U.S. and uh, you know around the world. I would say there's a lot of people that will take off some some type of holiday in the next coming weeks. But I recently learned about uh, a holiday in Australia that I'm I'm extremely jealous of. So I've, yeah. I heard about this Melbourne Cup Day, which sounds like <laughs> the conduct. Kentucky Derby here in the United States, but yep. like on steroids. And as I understand it, it's like a day in November where mm-hmm. everybody in Australia just gets up, gets uh, all gussied up in some kind of like fine clothing. I, I, as I understand, it, they start drinking very early in the morning. It's some kind of national holiday in preparation for a horse race. Uh, can you confirm uh, that this Melbourne Cup Day exists? Uh, oh, it definitely exists. It definitely exists. Um, now, now, a couple things I have to hit on. Uh, the Australians are gonna are gonna thump you on your pronunciation of, of Melbourne. There's no R in that word. You might see it, but it's not pronounced. There's no R. Got it. Got it. <laughs> and and it is. It's not a national holiday, but but amazingly, it. I'm pretty sure it's a state holiday. Uh, so Victoria, the state where where Melbourne is, um, they, as far as I can tell, they take that day off. And other states are like, that's a good idea. We should celebrate it. Um, my kids still went to school, but the school actually had a fundraiser event during school for parents to come and watch it on a big screen, on like a projector. Uh, I guess it was at school. I didn't go, but I can only assume that alcohol was served. <laughs> uh, people dress up, funny hats. Uh, they start drinking. Um, yeah, my my. Uh, my my Victoria-based coworkers, they took the day off. I think they also get you, – you'll like this. I think they also get the day off for uh, uh, Australian Rules football. Really? For, for the, the, the championship of that too. So it's kind of like their Super Bowl, like the American football yeah, Super Bowl? They're, they're like Super Bowl Friday. Yeah, that's a holiday. Oh, I love it. Well, I, I, I just <laughs> came across this thing, and I was also informed that – uh, now, now you've made me uh, subconscious saying Melbourne. I can't say it anymore. But, uh, but uh, regardless, is that I understand gambling is like heavily involved. Like, there's some like in, insane amount of gambling. Like, I don't oh, know, yeah. thousands of uh, bets per second kind of thing are being made on this horse race. And I just like the fact because if anyone that's watched horse racing, it's like a long horse race is like I don't know three minutes. So I love the fact that uh, they're taking off the entire day. Uh, there's a lot of drinking involved. <laughs> I guess in this case, it's just a state holiday. And uh, and then there's gambling because this is like perfect. I was like, how do we import this to America? This is the perfect American holiday. Like, And there's no uh, religious connotation with it as far as I know. There there seems to be like, is there like a reason for this horse race? Is it like commemorating something that happened? Or is it just nothing, uh, just drinking, gambling, and a day off? This is the perfect holiday in my book. <laughs> Um, well, Wikipedia has some history, but, uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, I, I, I do like a, uh, a, a holiday that everyone can get behind. Uh, <laughs> and, and Australia has some good ones. Um, they're also very practical about their holidays. Uh, the, the queen's birthday, uh, it's, it's a holiday. It's celebrated, uh, not on the actual queen's birthday, and it moves around from state to state depending on the holiday schedules of those states. So they always ensure that you know there is at least a three-day weekend out of the Queen's birthday. Oh, fantastic! This, I mean, you know, Australia has a lot going for it. These, I mean, they have <laughs> thought through some of the problems of of the world. So, well, I do know the uh, the Melbourne Cup Day, as I mispronounce again, is in on November. So next year, 
on Software Defined yes. Talk. We will be cover- I will be covering this exclusively. I may be the only <laughs> only American podcast covering it, but we're going to do it. We're going to find a horse. We're going to try to right. bet on it oh, somehow. I like that. Um, we're yeah. going to bet on it, and then uh, and then I will be participating. I will get up and drink in in honor of the Melbourne Cup day. <laughs> I, and, it'll, it'll be like probably, I don't know, midnight or something. That's a good time to start matter. drinking. It doesn't matter. Yeah. For me, it's, it'll be like, it, it'll be an appropriate time to drink in the United States, which is perfect. So, all right. <laughs> it's always an appropriate time in Australia. That's right. Well, Australia, keep up the good work on your holidays. But now, Matt, yes. we got some other feedback. In what may be the first time ever, it's possible we got some information wrong. Uh, so, uh, last week... Uh, we talked through your potential to go to jail because of the Australian Assistance and Access Act. So it's a uh, yes. And uh, we had some friends of ours from Australia. In fact, Michael Neal was one of them. Reach out to us and say that we potentially got the information wrong. So this is this is what I think we were saying last week. Is and uh, and ori- originally I saw this on One Password, which uh, I I personally love One Password. I use One Password, but they have a blog and they're usually pretty good about all the security stuff and they kind of uh, pointed out that this new act uh, potentially could uh, mean that an employee could be approached and then asked to kind of like, you know, behind the scenes, like uh, give access to the government, which uh, and then the implication was that, you know, you as the em- employer wouldn't know, right? I could just ask yeah. you, Matt. Right? I, and so, I, I, I would turn over the keys of software to yeah, find talk. Yeah, that's what you that's what we decided you would do rather than going to jail. Although there was a lot of talk on Slack about you going to jail. So I, I don't know why, but I'll, I'll let that go. So um, that seemed to be on the first read, and the bill is like 200 pages. So I, I'm not going to pretend I read it. Uh, but that's what a lot of the people, the, the press was saying. But then upon rereading, other people read the whole bill, and they wrote much longer articles about it. said so that that really is not uh, the intent of this bill. So it's much more like what I, I think of here in the U.S., like uh, you know, we have this like FISA warrants and, and things like that, where the government can come ask a company and they can file right. some legal proceedings to say, like, we would like this, in, this specific information. But that information, that's a, it's a, the act there is the uh, government actually asking a corporate entity, and then a corporate entity um, can either comply with that or they can take it to court yeah. uh, and they can do all that kind of stuff. So upon rereading this, some of the experts have said that it's, it's really not the case that uh, in Australia uh, the government can come to a specific employee and, and just add, well, add, uh, ask you to do this. Yeah, I mean that that that's just not very practical, really. I I, I mean, ideally, uh, your your company has is doing uh, everything as code, <laughs> uh, with well defined pipelines and and code reviews and, um, oh, I saw some stuff this week you wouldn't believe, but um, <laughs> but but ideally, you know, that sort of stuff could not, and uh, a rogue individual. Uh, at the behest of of some external entity, could not uh, push that sort of thing through. So, yeah, not very, uh, not not very likely. But but what is different about the U.S. and, and FISA courts? Uh, at least in the U.S., um, the you know the the government agency looking to get access to that infrastructure, uh, they have to go to uh, a FISA court and get a warrant. Uh, it's a secret warrant. Uh, but you know they, they they still have to go before a court, show their reasoning, and and get approval. The Australian one um, has what uh, they call a a tech technical assistance request request or uh, technical assistant notice, different formats on it. 
But the director general of the Australian Security Intelligence Organization um, or some of the other agencies, they can just go and request it directly without uh, a, a warrant or without going to a, a court. Now, I know in the U.S. the FISA court, you know, uh, has has signed something like you know 99.99% of requests, right. so it's kind of a rubber stamp. Uh, but but it's still a little little more. Um, has a little less oversight than, yeah. than the U.S. Yeah, and, I did see, and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I was gonna say, and I'm I did, sure the U.S. is going to just you know lean on Australia to get what they want. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was going to say, it did seem like uh, it was more, uh, it's sort of like opt-out versus opt-in, where it's like, you know, in the U.S., they go to a court and they get this thing, and it sounds like in Australia, they uh, make these various like uh, voluntary requests or uh, mandatory requests, and then the the company could then uh, sue. They could say, no, we don't want to do that. And that would get it into like the Australian courts. So, right. so I don't know. I mean, I guess having like reread all this now, it, it, you know, while it's a little different, it, it, it kind of, <laughs> I guess I living here in the U S it's like, I don't know. It kind of feels like in line with lots of the stuff that we see here in the United States. Um, and then there were some people talking about uh, the UK, which has like its own set of like some legislation there going on. So I, I don't know. I mean, I guess all of this is a very tricky subject. Uh, you know, clearly all the state entities, you know, want to have access to like private data uh, mm-hmm. under some certain circumstances, but then, how and when that data should be turned over is is just messy, right? I think, it's, yeah. and that's why I think we're seeing all this legislation. I mean, I think the good thing, if there, if you want to p- pitch it that way, is that at least there's a lot of conversation going. Um, and uh, as you know, it's like <laughs> when I'm not a U.S. attorney, I definitely don't know that much about Australian law, but it seemed to be the same kind of thing that a lot of this will have to be litigated, right? That these these things are very long, and like when it comes up. Uh, that'll be the time it gets litigated, and that'll be the time that decisions really, you know, hopefully precedents get set, I guess, is, is maybe the hope going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, with a lot of this, you know, uh, you know, privacy concerns and, and, and government overview, not a lot of it comes out in the public, right? So, you, you know, they, the gov- government will encourage companies to assist them, companies will keep quiet, and, you know, Later on, we'll find out like, oh, yeah, they were just recording everything. And, you know, there's a there's a, you know, a black box sitting in every telco uh, in Australia recording everything. everything What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the real danger. Right. I mean, so I guess it is good when the stuff gets written about, even if maybe people get like it gets too much notice on it. But it's it is something you have to watch because it can quietly recede. And then to your point, there's like all this data. And black boxes uh, going all over the place. So, uh, but like, listen, the most important thing is what we've learned here is Matt Ray. It doesn't look like you can go to jail for this specific reason, but <laughs> I have no doubt there are many Australian laws you can go to jail for. So, and there was a lot of talk about like what people think you should wear, like the bright orange jump suit or the uh, the striped jumpsuit. So I don't know. Maybe we need a picture of what it looks like, uh, what prisoners wear in Australia, because. Uh, I think people people are ready ready for you. There's there's a community ready to see you I in jail, and there's back. also a, a community <laughs> willing, re, willing to help in Australia to get you out of jail at some point. Mm. Well, uh, for for any uh, Australian authorities listening, I'm an, uh, a fine, upstanding citizen, and uh, you know, please uh, please keep my visa in good standing. <laughs> That's right. Don't mess with Matt. All right. Um, well, Matt, there's some other kind of interesting news this week. Uh, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, about open source licensing lately. And mm. you know, normally, 
that's about the most boring topic of all time, <laughs> uh, having been a part hey, of well, it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we talk about that almost every other episode. I know, but it's good. But now it's like it's got some emotion behind it. So yeah. let's let's maybe start from you know what what kind of spurred the latest conversation. So it's uh, Confluent. Am I saying that right? Confluent is yeah, yeah. uh, they came out. And they were, you know, sort of open source company came out and, and basically put restrictions on their specific project. And to net it all out, what they basically said is everything's the same except large cloud vendors, which is primarily AWS, Google, uh, Microsoft, you know, et cetera, cannot host their software and sell it. Right. And so mm-hmm. they changed the licensing uh, of their uh, project to prevent that. And that has kind of set off. A whole bunch of discussion around like, is this good? Is this bad? Uh, and then you know your friend uh, Adam Jacob, right, the founder okay. and CTO of Chef, has actually started this this whole other initiative called the Sustainable Open Source, um, I guess, project or initiative. So, do you want to talk? Tell us like what what does that actually mean? What he's trying to do there? Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the the sustainable, free, and open source community is something Adam's. Uh, obviously been passionate about for a long time. Um, you know, uh, chef has a, a long history of, of trying to be a good open source citizen and, and, uh, you know, there's always the, the tension between sales and, and engineering about, uh, you know, Hey, can't we just give all this stuff away for free? And, uh, how are we going to pay the bills and make those, those, uh, venture capitalists happy with their investment? Um, and so, so you, with the, the recent, developments uh you know redis uh relicensed some of their stuff mongo has played around with uh some of the wording of licenses and um you know adam uh has you know stuck stuck his uh his head into the the conversation and and you know provide a lot of quotes for a lot of recent articles and so he uh he posted something he's been working on for for quite a while um and it's uh, at sfosc.org, where you know talks about some of the principles, different business models, um, and then he's written kind of a, a short book, and uh, put it all up on on GitHub, and Medium, and encourage and you know starting up a, a community of people who just want to kind of talk about licensing and how how you build sustainable open source communities, uh, and still have a, a business that works on it and. You know things are going pretty well at Chef, uh, but it, it's nice to see the the analysis of you know different models. You know I think that's what we we tend to to talk about. You know open source is not a business model; it's it's a tactic. <laughs> that's right. <It's, laughs> we have we have definitely talked about that. So, and I think you know the root of this issue, um, and I think Brian Cantrell, who uh, yeah. you know just wrote just a fantastic post. It's called "Open Source Confronts Its Midlife Crisis." And all of this is in the show notes. So, and I, and I encourage you to read all this stuff. And so, you know, he kind of walks through this whole thing. And I think his point is this, is that, you know, there's a little bit of like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think we, we mean this with affection, kind of grumpy old man. Like he's sort of like been through a lot of the battles of open source. And I think what he's, uh, I think his point he's trying to make is that if you are uh, building some type of open source project today, and, you know, you kind of have this feeling you're being ripped off because the cloud vendors are essentially hosting and then charging for your software. Right. And you're not getting any part of it. Um, there's I think he's trying to give everyone like some tough love. It's like this is how it works. This is the deal right. with open source. And in his whole point, And I think the three that you, you talked about is like this idea that you're going to solve this 
by changing the license, and he does a really good job in the post kind of outlining his, his thought rationale around this, is that you, this doesn't really solve the problem. Either one, the major cloud vendors will just use like the quote, real open source part, you know, the part that core that's still right, open source, right. and they'll just like re-implement it, uh, mm -hmm. or they'll just kind of, you know, go away from you and they'll build some kind of proprietary open thing. And either, either of those outcomes- That, that sort competes of, with you. That competes <laughs> with you, right? So either of, and then he goes on to say, uh, you know, dear to my heart, he even goes on to like comment. It's like, you know, what, what you're afraid that they're going to, they don't know how to rewrite your LDAP integration, which of course, you know, I love that, that comment because he, <laughs> he makes the analogy that most of these companies are like building their own chips. So his point just being that they have more than enough resources to like re-implement anything or just build mm -hmm. it themselves. So, but his, his broader point was like, you know, either way you kind of lose here, right? The, that open source project kind of ends, right? Because it, it sort of forks off in another direction, right? So the yeah. community will move and your community will die off. So, um, the, and, he, and this is the tough love part where he just kind of says, like, he says it blatantly in there. He just says, you know, uh, if you think they're going to pay you like licensing fees, uh, any of these cloud companies, you're nuts. Right. And that, right. um, none of that's going to work. So, you know, he's really making the case and, I, uh, directly that, hey, people that are reacting to this with licensing changes are, are missing the big picture, right? And that the fact that uh, they need, the fact that they need to find a way to make money for their companies is separate from the community and open source projects that they're working on, right? That those are really yeah. two different problems. And uh, the final summary, I guess, of his point is like, don't, and I think his, his broader point was like, don't drag the community into your business problem is really what I, I took away from it. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Well, and I mean, I, I consider myself a member of several open source communities, but I also wonder how much community exists for some of these projects, right? Um, I mean, we, we've both worked at companies that are ostensibly open source that, uh, you know, 95% of the contributions come from, you know, the company. Um, so it's, you know, what is the advantage of being open source if you don't have a, a healthy community around you? Um, it's good for marketing, I guess. Uh, it, it's it's a lost leader for you know new user adoption, um, but you know if, for for a lot of these companies, like does it? <clears throat> I, I mean, why even bother with calling yourself open source? I, I, I guess it, it does act as a deterrent to someone else undercutting you as the open source alternative <laughs> to you, uh, you know the the pure open source alternative, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's definitely a, a, a muddy muddy path. Um, you know, I, I I did like and uh, and and Adam's write up of of uh, his mo of the book that that he's kind of you know got out there motivations about um, you know frustrations with with having an open source business and having uh, a large uh, company. Uh, sent a, uh, an email that said, you know, hey, congratulations, uh, Chef is the exclusive configuration management system for us. However, we're not going to enter into a commercial relationship with you because your business model is bullshit. Love the company. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so like, well, you know, software business is hard. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know what the right answer is. Here. Well, this is where I think, um, you know, if, if Brian – Cantrell brings kind of like the tough love. I think Adam brings like the uh, the optimism, right? I mean, just and oh, yeah. you should definitely go to his website. I guess not his website, Sustainable and Open Source Community. And again, that's in the show notes. But what he does there is sort of offer a roadmap for everyone. And this is the first time, I'm sure it's been written somewhere else, but he 
writes down, I guess it's about seven business models of open source, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we, I think it's worth like uh, kind of hitting on them because I think if you're thinking about starting one of these companies, you can kind of just go here and he'll, he kind of gives you the pro cons for each one. So free software island, as he calls it, it's sort of like Kubernetes, right? Where it's like kind of everyone just agrees to work on one open standard. And the idea yep. is that like uh, collectively we all benefit from having this. So in case of Kubernetes, right, it's a platform to build platforms. And it's really better for us to all build on this. And, and really what it, what it means is then everyone's going to take that software, go back to their own company, and then do something interesting on top of it. Like maybe build Uber or build Lyft or build whatever, yeah, right? right? And it's like, so that one, I think it's probably the most pure one in the sense of like uh everyone's just like it's almost like collectively let's just work together get it done and then we'll compete some other way so well, and, and and it's no one's primary business yeah exactly right? that's the key yeah and right? that's the whole thing and so good you know and he kind of says like he says i think explicitly in there he says like hey that's really pro open source right like the licensing is good everyone's in the same one so that so that makes sense and then you know i don't know if he invented these words but I like them. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> open core has been around for a long time. Open core has right. always been like the idea is that you make the core part of your software free. And then there's some amount of, of, uh, functionality you put around for it that you, you charge for it. But he introduces like two tiers of it, loose open mm -hmm. core, which is sort of like, you know, you're, you're kind of not, you're, you're keeping most of the software out there. Right. And you're really developing some kind of like, if you will, like niche. Side yeah, yeah niche or, or, or product on the side product on yeah. the side that's really just it's usually very targeted at like one specific industry or group and that they're going to pay for that um but mm -hmm. for the majority of the user they're getting like a full fledged product that's usable so that's sort of yeah. um you know i think you kind of use that as like well i mean it helps create sustainable open source but you know it also sort of you know le leads you into this weird thing around like lots of different derivatives potentially and and uh, not all the changes make it back into the specific uh software product then he talks about tight open core, which I also right. love, which is just the opposite, which is where you deliberately hold back features of your software that usually lots of people want. Um, right. In the hopes, your LDAP integration. Yeah, your LDAP. <laughs> this is the LDAP integration, Brian. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Chef, Chef has made that migration from, from tight to loose. Um, well, they started with you know, pure because uh, you know, we were too small to, <laughs> to have any differentiation. And then they're like, well, we'll have this commercial. Well, they started with, we'll have a SaaS, uh, and everything will be open source except for the SaaS, right? And then, then they were like, well, you know, the reality of, of enterprise software is stuff has to be on-prem. And so you know, then they had, well, we'll have this enterprise version of, of our product, and it has the, uh, you know, your LDAP and, and all that fun stuff. And then that got open sourced. And now it's like you know, Chef, Habitat, Inspec are all completely open source. But there's Automate, which is a commercial product that sits outside of that, um, and and you know harnesses all those capabilities. But you know you don't need one to use the other. Yeah, yeah. So this one, I mean, and he kind of says it in his write up here is that it doesn't really lead ultimately to like really good products, right? Because it's just like you always end up with this arbitrary line of what's free and what's what's not, and then you you just you kind of end up with a lot of frustration, right? That uh, so I think <laughs> that's one I think you would going to be steering people away from and then uh probably yeah. the, i'm just gonna say that he doesn't say this i think the worst one he says is dual licensing right where it's like hey on one hand it's all free you can do whatever you want but then it's like but we have this other license that uh you can get and you know kind of get more more uh indemnification and essentially people can just kind of like 
if you will, uh, kind of change the license whenever they want because they usually implement the first license is like a copy left license, right? Which means that like if if you use anything in the software, you got to contribute it back. Um, but then they also reserve the right with their own license to be like, whoa, but I have this other license that I can give you where you don't have to do that and you have to buy. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of like, this, this is really the worst of them all, right? It's like you're you're creating, uh, <laughs> yet, you I mean, know. Yet, yet they're like a dozen MySQL companies, right? There are, but it's like this. Is, I mean, I guess when I say worst, I'd say like this is probably the the least open source friendly thing, right? It's like you have these two licenses. It's like you know, it's, it's sort of like blatantly saying it's like I want you to get back to changes, but then I'm gonna have this special place where I can just do whatever I want. So right. you know, right. you're, you're kind of like appointing a king to your. So you know, maybe it's exactly. so maybe it works out, but it, it's just it's not in the spirit of it and then you have good old add a service which i think we all get it's like hey i just built all this software and uh and now instead of uh, you having to install it and host it like i'll do it for you right so um there's a bunch of companies that do that and i think i don't know he's more neutral on this one i kind of like this one i'm sort of like this is you know for the consumer oriented software i think this is almost like the way to go it's like i don't want to install and manage a whole bunch of stuff so like throw it up as a service let me pay for it uh, by the month that's great um so you know i think you know but i think he's a little bit i I think it works i think it's it's viable but the the risk as a business is you know amazon microsoft just offering your thing because they can run it just as well as you can yeah. And and then they can tie it into who knows what else, right? Yeah, and, I I think you're totally right. And I think this is where I think Brian Crenshaw has some funny line about like you know I just got uh, reinvented or something where like where Amazon like announces like yes. your uh, your uh, your specific software is now part of their stack. So yeah, so that's like I guess it, I should clarify and say good for the consumer. If you're in a place that is kind of proprietary or not proprietary, a place that's more niche, you could probably make a nice business doing that. But you're absolutely if you if people want it as a service and the large cloud platforms feel like they want it, then that's not yeah. going to be very defensible. So I guess and, to his broader point, that's why it's a little bit questionable. And and somebody as big as Amazon, they're going to cover off on all the niches, right? I mean, you know, Amazon has an order of magnitude more Chef customers than Chef. <laughs> Yeah, like I think you know you're in trouble. Like when the company releases like its own remote controlled car for AI, like as a side project, <laughs> that like, you're like yeah, that they can probably yeah, do LDAP integration. You're like, yeah, yeah. I think they're going like, to get over that. We, uh, we rent numbers. We can run ground stations for satellites. Like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, and then the two we won't talk about necessarily as much, or a couple final ones to strap out. Like donations. It's just what you said. It's like, sure. I mean, I, it could work. It's not really a business model. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's well, like, you, you yeah, what's it. not on that list is open SSL. It's like, holy cow. You know, so some of the like core parts of the internet are run through donations. It's so crazy. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's out there. And I guess, well, this is where I think maybe the more healthy one would be the support one where it's just like, hey, you're going to provide support, like in case of like something like uh, an open yeah. SSL or something like that. It makes total sense where absolutely, you know, you need support, you need to answer questions on it and you're going to charge some support contracts. So that's a very easy one to, to make sense. It's just and, not, it doesn't usually provide the growth and revenue that people want, but very well, straightforward. It, it's good for a uh, small, smaller business, but it's not what VC wants, yeah. right? So, so you know, you can make a very healthy business, um, you know, providing 
support and you know good high quality open source software it's just if you're expecting some sort of you know exit where you know you go public and everyone makes you know 10 times return on their investment that's not going to happen with a, a pure support model right but there are plenty of companies like uh uh who's the the monitoring guys um uh, I can't remember them, but you know there there, there are definitely yeah, they, they, uh, long-term companies that mm-hmm. have been around doing a, you know a good job with, with the uh, the the pure support model. Yeah, you know, be nice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then um, you know the final one is sort of I guess the Red Hat model, the free software product, right? right? Where it's like basically yeah. the product, the entire thing is 100 uh, percent open source, and then. Uh, the company, you know, a company basically will then take that and then relicense it uh, and sell it. But everyone knows that they're going to do it. And so in this case, it's kind of like the community's goal is to just keep adding everything that you would possibly need um, and then keep it really up to date. And so like this, and this is in case when he says Red Hat, I almost think of like this is Linux, where it's like pretty much every bit of Linux is like out there, but Red Hat packages it up. And if you want to buy it right, that way, you right. can do it. And if not, well, there's it, like a bunch of other Linux distros that you can use. And And, and there's some some little technicalities in there about you know red hat licenses their downloads right you can't go and just download a red hat image right right? you can't you can't use their repositories you know they they they're saying hey this stuff's all open source you could re-implement our business but uh you can't you can't have our you know distributable bits that we package up yeah and and so you know everything's open source but uh you know and and i and i think that model works if you have a good open source uh, upstream and Red Hat facilitates this by, you know, sponsoring the Fedora and CentOS projects, right? They, they make sure that, you know, if people don't want to pay Red Hat, they can get the same, you know, essentially the same bits, but they just don't have it in a supported model. So you have, you know, Fedora doing the, you know, crazy bleeding edge stuff, trying things out. And that feeds into Red Hat. It's, it's their test bed for, for unstable development. And then you have CentOS, which, you know, I'm sure uh, having known some some Red Hat salespeople, like they hated CentOS. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But 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 you know, uh, I don't run into a lot of shops that you know don't have CentOS in them. If you know if they're if they're not just straight up Red Hat, they're like, yeah, we we use CentOS, and that was the gateway into Red Hat. Yeah, and I All think right. you know this. You know, although he doesn't say it this way, this is me again editorializing here. It's like. I, it's like this model works great for Red Hat and Linux. I don't know. Like, has it worked for any? I mean, I, it can work for other places, but clearly, just the the nature of Linux and the foundational moment uh, component of all of the internet, of all of technology, it's a very unique situation, right? And I think it's really worked out well. So it's good. I'm glad he called it out here. I don't know today if you're starting a company, like this would probably be tough to do. You know, um, if 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 you took you know some you know substantially large project. Maybe you could pull it off. You know, yeah, I, 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 I'd like to see somebody try. <laughs> it would be, it would be not me. I'm not trying. You know, maybe, I, maybe Elastic or you know something that has you know or you know one of the Hadoop people maybe like you know I you know I I, I don't think I saw uh, you know, Hortonworks or them in in here, but I think Hortonworks had that model, but now they've merged with Cloudera, who had a more you know commercial core open core model. Um, so you know, I think Hortonworks was trying to stay on this path, and I think um, uh, Heptio was on was this also? path. Okay. Yeah. Well, where, I'll tell you- where everything they did was open source, but you know, good luck sorting it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, let me tell you this one thing. One thing I know 
is that uh, software defined talk? We're not open source. We're not open source. Either. Like we know how to make money. You know how we make money? Let me tell you how we make money. We sell sponsorships. And uh, and with that, I would like to tell you that this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds. And this week, SolarWinds wants you to know about their <clears throat> DevOps tools, Pingdom, App Optics, Paper Trail, and Logly. Today's recognized pillars of observability combine metric, traces, and logs to enable DevOps teams to monitor systems and application performance. But these capabilities provide only limited insight into application performance because they ignore the user experience, a critical measure of application performance. Understanding if a system is slow or unavailable from an end user's perspective is crucial in today's digital world, even if the metrics are good and there are no alerts. Altogether, the combined functionality of Pingdom, App Optics, Paper Trail, and Logly brings together real user monitoring, synthetic user monitoring, web and application performance metrics, distributed tracing, event aggregation, and log management to help proactively identify bottlenecks and accelerate troubleshooting. By bringing user experience, metrics, traces, and logs together with an easy-to-use complementary toolkit, DevOps teams gain unmatched visibility into their cloud environment so they can seamlessly follow an alert or issue from one product into another to resolve issues quickly and get back to focusing on the more productive elements of their jobs. Over 275,000 customers worldwide and 499 of the Fortune 500 trust and rely on SolarWinds for their monitoring software. And to learn more or try the company's DevOps products for free, please visit solowinds.com slash DevOps. And of course, we appreciate SolarWinds and them being such a great sponsor. And of course, when you go there and you fill out the web form, tell them your friends at Software Define Talk sent you. And Matt, I think we even have another sponsor this week. <laughs> well, you know, uh, not only do we enjoy being uh, sponsored by uh by companies, uh, but we're also uh, uh, doing some some sponsoring uh, with some other podcasts. So if you are a software defined talk listener, uh, you know that we love our tech podcast. Uh, and this week, our sponsor is another great tech podcast, Arrested DevOps. Uh, the Arrested DevOps podcast helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. Uh, Arrested DevOps is hosted by our friends Matt Stratton, Trevor Hess, and Bridget Cromhout. All the hosts are active in the DevOps community, and they help put on DevOps days all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Go subscribe today by searching for Arrested DevOps in your favorite podcast app or visiting our friends at www.arresteddevops.com. I tell them we sent you. Of course, of course, we love those guys. <laughs> they have great, uh, great podcasts, and of course, it's holiday season, so everyone needs like to load up on podcasts in case you have to oh, yeah. escape yeah. escape from your family. So go, go subscribe. Uh, so you know, back to kind of like the open source stuff. So I don't know. At the end of the day, you know, and, and this is um, the part I don't know. It's like I love what Adam is doing here. I love the fact that he's because he's sort of like taking it head on. Like we need to find a new way to do it. And as we kind of recapped all those open source business models, it's like, that's the place to start. If you're going to get into open source software and you want to make money. Uh, but I wonder sometimes the thing that, uh, of course, you know, because I, I like to think in terms of graphics and I have to like build PowerPoints even in my mind, right? As like I, what I think Adam or the sustainable open source uh, could use is maybe a graphic of the trade-offs, right? I think it's sort of like, it's like ambition, uh, work, if you will, happiness. And then there's like, money right and i think these three things are like kind of always at each other's throats it's like so and when i say that what i mean by that is like 
if you want to make a lot of money and you want to start with them, it's very hard to start as an open source project and sell just that specific technology, right? That is tough to do, but you can build a very successful project. You can probably make a very good living, right? Is this what Brian uh, Cantrell points out is like by doing services and support, it's not the growth multiples of a VC, but you can right. make a living there. And also too, I think so much, and I think Adam kind of like, I think of him as like in his writing kind of this comes true. It's like, he enjoys the work. He loves the work. I think we talked about QCOM last week. A lot of the guys that work on Kubernetes love that work. That's what they want to mm -hmm. be doing every day. So they're not going to necessarily be worth hundreds of millions of dollars, but they can have a really successful project. They can find a way to pay their bills, but they're not going to well, make these huge yeah. returns. Or I mean, they, they, they can bounce from company to company doing the same job. Yeah, and I think you know, I think we talked about the Red Hat IBM uh, thing. And I think you know, so much of the kind of frustration I think from the Red Hat guys were like, you know, they essentially to what you were saying before, Matt, it's like a lot of the Red Hat employees are essentially just funded. They're paid to work on these open source projects, and I'm sure they're paid right. great salaries, but none of them are necessarily trying to be billionaires, right? They really enjoy that, and I think. Um, and this is the whole point. Now, to flip it around, I think, let's say, uh, Confluent or any of them, I don't want to pick on anyone. Anybody that's changed their business model, I think what they're kind of saying is, like, we've taken all this venture capitalist money, and we do have to make a lot more money, right? And we need mm -hmm. some way to do it. So they're, if you will, kind of sacrificing some of the community side of it or maybe even job satisfaction. Because trust me, no one wants to like rewrite open source licensing. No one's <laughs> like, oh, great. Let me like tag in on that project, right? You know, you look around the room. Everyone's like, no, no, I'll go implement LDAP. I don't want to be on right, that project. Right. And, um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, software, software developers are, if anything, uh, lazy, and you know nobody wants to rewrite the wheels. So they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go out to GitHub, try to find the software that does what they want, you know, use something that already exists. Uh, that's that's, you know, kind of the secret sauce to open source is it's all laziness. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it's laziness in a good way because because everybody knows a lot of these problems have been solved you know it's like there's no secret sauce in a lot of the things that make open core like you know what i can make you a reporting dashboard using grafana or you know what have you and it can be good enough for most people but um you know if, if people are willing to pay for that that's where we'll differentiate you um and so you know as a developer i'd rather just use you know the off the shelf stuff and move on to the more interesting problems or or actually solving you know the things that are my business's problems which is why you have you know your ubers and stripes and the likes working on kubernetes cuz like you know running infrastructure again that's nobody's business right uh, unless you're an actual cloud provider or hosting company yeah <laughs> No, and I think that's where it leaves. And so I think this is kind of like, was, I guess, my recommendation to kind of the free software Adams initiative. Just everyone is like, is, and I think this is where, you know, kind of combining the two articles, kind of the optimism of Adam and the, uh, the, the pessim, I don't know, the reality that Cantrell brings to the conversation. It's like, hey, before you enter into these, this, this business or this open source thing, you got to really decide what you want, you know? And I don't, and I think if you're going to take a lot of money from a VC today, and that, I don't think we should even say that's like that's not a bad thing. It's just understand that that there aren't a lot of ways to make you know huge returns, right? Mm -hmm. uh, on just kind of these known open source business models, like you're gonna have to probably do something different. So uh, maybe think about alternative ways to fund your company, right? Up up front, or the flip side of that would be 
if you are going to build something open source, you probably should think more like an Uber or a Lyft or or any of them. It's like, you know, it's not necessarily core to your business, but you're going to develop some technological advantage, right, that you can then leverage in some other way to go on to have some type of huge venture capital based business. And I think um, like to me, that's like the takeaway from all, all of these articles. Yeah. But uh, you know, open source, it's table stakes these days. So, you know, if you try to do something closed source, eventually someone's going to undercut you, you know? <laughs> um, and you know, that's, we saw that uh, this week uh, MIPS announced that they're going open source. Um, you know, so you've got MIPS uh, risk, arm they've all gone open source or you know the with fairly open sourcey kind of licenses where uh it's just table stakes this is you know the work is going to be done out in the open well i think you're right because uh, this is so interesting it's gone all the way to the hardware level and I, I don't know this is one question i had through reading this is that um it's not so mips right is essentially i guess i think of it as a direct competitor to arm so it's both yeah the chip architecture as well as the instruction set is that essentially like when yeah, they yeah, say yeah. they're open sourcing. That's really what they're doing there. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Absolutely. I guess the so this is now it's interesting. Uh, it's been so long since I've been like really knowing what's going on with hardware. But I guess now it just gives all of these guys that are doing, uh, I guess what systems on a chip. You know, it gives them a whole another architecture to decide uh, if they want to use it, right? Because I think before like everyone was just using ARM. I don't even know was anyone doing anything else? Was there something else that was really competing in this area with that? <laughs> risk. There's still risk chips too. Right. Um, uh, which I think get used in a lot of graphics um, stuff, and, and so you you know, ARM has kind of a, an open has a licensing model where you know they 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 keep moving the the base forward and license out you know the base to different companies that then go customize it, and I don't know you know I'm sure down in the details there's some sort of you must share things back so we can keep moving the base forward, mm-hmm. uh, which is why you know everybody has an ARM chip. Um, you know, whether it's TI or Apple or, you know, whoever, and then they keep just kind of moving the base forward, uh, you know, arm V7, V8, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if it's, you know, like what is going on. I don't know if it's, uh, more Intel's mid missteps or, or if we're kind of seeing, if you will, the value of like the open source approach. Cause I mean, all in, for all intents and purposes, like, you know, Apple and what they're doing with their, their, what, a, a nine or a 10 X 11 chips. Or whatever. Like a 12. Yeah, I don't even know what it is. Anyway, everyone's saying that these things, uh, they have just pushed this architecture to like new levels. That is essentially, right. uh, you know, there seems to be no reason now that it, at a minimum, it can't replace like the low end laptops, like the MacBook airs. But, uh, there's even talk that, you know, behind the scenes that that will eventually be the, the new Mac pro could essentially be a series of arm chips, um, uh, we'll, which seems we'll like all but done. That. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, but you know, I guess the thing, the win for us good consumers is just power, right? It's like, wow, suddenly your laptop would run for like three days and it'd be like, Oh, that'd be great. That'd be perfect. So, yeah. um, so I like it. So MIPS, I don't know. Welcome. We should say MIPS. Welcome <laughs> to the open source world. We look forward uh, to yeah. using. And you know what, MIPS? I won't be doing anything with you directly. I hope it's great. I have no idea. But I will. I'm. I'm. I'm going to work above the stack, above like about 17 layers above that. I'm sure. Well, yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. I, I've actually been uh, the last uh, two or three days. Uh, I, I got. I've been doing a bunch of arm stuff <laughs> for oh, really? for no good reason. Yeah, no nice. good reason. I got I got uh, Chef working on the Raspberry Pi uh, <laughs> Zero. So um, wow, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, you need some it, hobbies. You need to spend more time with your children. 
Mm. Uh, it's, no. it's actually no. more of a procrastination thing. So yeah, uh, I got the work done. Uh, I guess I'll have to do the blog post. Um, you know, write this stuff up. But yeah, it's yeah. it's fun. I, I wish I had a good excuse to work on this stuff. Uh, other than <laughs> now, my Raspberry Pis check in. Nice, for, nice. <laughs> Well, while you were working on the Raspberry Pi, there was some other news. I, I just think it's fun to watch. You know, evidently, uh, Oracle and Amazon, as we've alluded to before, I, I think this is just going to be the year the two these two fight for like an entire year. So I guess the the net net of it was there was some earnings call where Larry Ellison was asked uh, about or I'm sorry about Amazon moving off Oracle, and he he basically said like it's impossible, like only Amazon would do it because because. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos like hates them and wants them all off on that. And so, um, and, and, and they're using that, that janky open source yeah. MySQL that yeah, barely works. Yeah, so funny. Like, like the, oh, the MySQL comment was just like, you're like, what's going on? You own that. That's you too. But, yeah, uh, yeah. so he was all upset about it. But then he did come out and I guess he kind of, I don't know. I mean, people yield said this was like kind of like being humble, but I think it's just like being factual. He's just, I think he just said AWS is way ahead in cloud, which is, I, I mean, I don't think that's like breaking news Duh. to anyone, right? It's yeah. like, so, uh, but clearly, you know, I mean, I it just, I, I always, when I look at Oracle, I always reflect back, I guess, I guess this is like the Brian Cran- Cantrell episode, but you know, I, I think back to my time at Sun or when I was there and it was just like, you know, Sun was obviously under attack from just Linux and Red Hat and proprietary. And it obviously that all ended right with Oracle. And it just feels like, um, you know, it's been like a, a decade plus, but, you know, it does feel like this is like the f- most serious challenge to Oracle that I think we've ever seen. I think with, you know, with Amazon coming out and just calling them out by name, I think they had his picture. Did they have his picture up on, on uh, <laughs> the uh, AWS uh, reInvent keynote? They were kind of making fun of him. It's like, like they really, de- I mean, I don't know. I don't want to yeah, war, but they've declared yeah. Oracle is the competitor they want to kill. So it's like, that's not a good position to be in um, right now. So <laughs> yeah, they're like, let, let, let's look down our list of competitors and who's that at number five or six, <laughs> seven. Yeah. Let's take out them. You know, they overlook, you know, Microsoft. Well, we do a lot of business together. You know, Google guys. Yeah. We, uh, we, we share some of this Kubernetes stuff. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Alibaba, you know, IBM. Uh, who's that down there? Yeah, let's kick them. <laughs> let's go. Right? Let's go Oracle. Yeah, no, it does. It yeah. does seem like it. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to why. Uh, I thought, but the two points, one, one point it didn't make, it made me think about it was it's like, I don't know, like, could a regular company, like, moving off Oracle, probably pretty hard to, to the extent that AWS is trying to do it. But I, I think it's one of these, like, legacy business versus new projects. Like, new projects yeah. going forward. Certainly, you're going to see them adopting a lots of different database technologies, but uh, I, you know, they're going to be a well, long maintenance stream of Oracle for a long time. Yeah, if if you are, you know, if you are an Oracle customer, you probably sit there and you do the calculus of, well, we pay Oracle, you know, X hundred thousand million dollars a year, whatever, and what is that pain versus if we bring in some, you know, Postgres or you know cloud migration specialist to come in and re-implement our stuff how much are we going to pay them are they going to do a good job you know what what does that look like and you know there every time oracle ratchets up their costs uh someone you know revisits that calculus and i'm sure uh you know it's it's there's not a lot going the other direction if you're oracle and that's probably the scary part yeah right yeah well, I look forward to this next year. Maybe that's our twenty nine projection. Just like, yeah, go at it, guys. Jeff Bezos, Larry Ellison, fight it, fight to the death. I'll just sit here like <laughs> that, I, you that, know. That, that's an easy prediction for twenty nineteen. <laughs> yeah, just go you for know. it, guys. Oracle, yeah, 
2019, year of the Linux desktop and the year Amazon and Oracle <laughs> fight in public. That's right. Just go for it, man. <laughs> Just have at it, guys. Uh, so I think that's pretty much, you know, that's all the news that we've got time for. I don't know. Is there anything else, Matt, Ray, that you, that you yeah, that, should that, talk about? No, well, I'm sure we'll have uh, more to talk about next time. Um, yeah, that's, right. that's that's good for this week. <laughs> well, we did get uh, a lot of feedback this week. We had a lot yeah, of stuff yeah, happening. Yeah. So a couple of things I want to say. So Alex from Arizona, he wrote us a great review. Um, and uh, But sadly, I didn't have his T-shirt size. So all I have oh, left are, are large and extra large. So... So if so, you are large or an extra large, write us a Yeah, review. this is the worst promotion of all time. If you are or, or, or a 2XL, <laughs> Anything else? we'll no. send you some stickers. I was going to say, just, stickers. just absolute worst promotion of all time. Like, you got to be in the United States. You got to be a certain size. We're just going to make it harder and harder. But I really appreciate it. Alex wrote us a great review, and I really appreciate it. And then, um, as as listeners may recall, that Lord Puppy Pants uh, wrote us a, a review <laughs> A while back, and so uh, I think Lord Puppy Pants. I got a picture of him. He's, he's a dog. He's like a uh, he's I think a husky mix. So if you go to the uh, software defined talk Instagram account, um, you know I finally found a reason to use it. So he's up there, and I just he's the official mascot of software defined talk. Like why not? So I sent uh, I tracked down uh, his owner, uh, Mikel. I think that's how you say his name. And so I sent them two shirts. I sent one for Lord Puppy Pants and one for him. So uh, we really appreciate uh, Lord Puppy Pants. (laughs) yeah, Lord Puppy Pants took our last medium. He did. <laughs> he, did. he did. That's right. That's right. So we appreciate it, of course, uh, Mikel. He's in uh, Alabama, so we always end with, like, Roll Tide. Uh, and then we got some other feedback uh, from, I'm just going to say, Chris A. He's, uh, the I think, the CTO of, like, the CNCF and uh, – uh, and other uh, you know Linux Foundation stuff like that. So you know he said, listen to our KubeCon episode, and he said that maybe we got some stuff wrong. One first thing he said is that like I made it sound too complicated. He said because I, I said like Istio sort of makes uh, what I guess Envoy a little bit simpler. He says we're wrong on that. He says actually Envoy is pretty simple. And um, you know what I didn't read all the details, but you know what I would go with him. I think he knows. I think he knows yeah. more. So uh, so yeah, I appreciate. We get him on sometime. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate I mean, it. Please correct us. We, uh, you know, we're, we're just making this up as we go. Surprise. Yeah. So Chris is actually here in Austin, and I live here in Austin. So at some point, like, I think we will have him on because I think he had some other comments um, that he wanted to make about QCon and CNCF and all that stuff. So, yeah, it'd be great to yeah. have him on at some point. We just, you know, we got to work out the, the scheduling detail. I will have my people call his people. You know, it'll be a whole thing. It'll just be, it'll be great. Um, but then, uh, Matt, as you already alluded to, uh, and we're pretty much like you know, the T-shirt thing. Write us a review. But I also want to offer another thing out. Some people are giving uh, talks this upcoming year. So if you just want a shirt and you're going to wear it when you give your talk, I'll be happy to send you one too. So just send me an email wow. at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Evidently, you need to just be a large or extra large, and you have to like gray <laughs> or black. Because like, hey, guys, you know, I mean, supplies, while supplies last, right? We're, we don't have that many. So um, definitely hit us up, and I'll, I'll get you one. And of course... You can join the Slack group, which has been fantastic lately, like all kinds of good information in there and all kinds of nonsense and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and all that. And if you just, if you just want free stuff, we also do that. Send us uh, your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and I will send you a sticker or two stickers or 10 stickers. Just tell me how many you need. Um, and then, yeah, and then, of course, uh, we've, we've been doing some interviews lately, some software-defined interviews. So if you want some more stuff to listen to, go check out that. And a um, little upcoming programming note, we'll be playing a couple interviews and a couple special episodes uh, during the 
you know, what's the Christmas break here in the U.S. and then the New Year's break. So we'll have stuff to listen to. It'll be some fun stuff. Uh, and then we'll be back at it for real in, in the new year. So having said all that, Matt, do you have some recommendations for us this week? I do. I do. So uh, I, I, avid listeners may know that uh, I use Emacs. And uh, I'm proud to say I just discovered Tramp Mode uh, yesterday, <laughs> which – I've been using it for 20 some years and that's kind of sad, but, uh, I, I kind of vaguely knew what it was. Um, what tramp mode is, is it allows transparent access to remote files. So if you, uh, if you go, if you want to open a file on a remote server, um, just like you would normally open a file, it co- connects to it via FTP, SSH, um, SCP, you know, that that's kind of cool, but you can also just open a shell on the remote box and it's there inside your Emacs and you're capturing all your, uh, you've got your, um, your shell session inside your editor, which I already do locally, but now I, I found out I can do it remotely. I will probably never use iTerm again. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So at some point, this is like, uh, what is it? Like all software evolves so it can send mail. So it's like, yeah, yeah, so Emacs yeah. just keeps oh, Emacs coming. Oh, do that. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, yeah. okay, so no web terminal. Browser, Emacs, web no browser, terminal. Yeah, so it's just like everything. Like, like, does it have a Twitter client? Like, do you ever have yes, to leave? Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay, all right, yeah. well, good. So that's that's great. I don't know, man. Emacs, like, I, I got away from this a long it's time ago. It's a lifestyle, ago. yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm out, man. I just, I, I'm totally out. So that's great. I, well, I hope all of you uh, use that. Um <laughs> <laughs> my recommendation is just a very uh, uh, simple thing this week is that uh, I uh, have I got a new car this year, which is fun, which was exciting, of course. But I it has CarPlay, which I generally like. It's it's just like any software when you have two different vendors. Sometimes it can be a little wonky, but uh, that led me to then get in Apple Music and not use Spotify because it just works really well with the car. I can just like uh, use Surrey and you know my son. He can like request music. It's just great. It works great in the car, but. This left me with this dilemma because I have all these Alexas here at home, all the Echoes, and uh, you know I I don't have I didn't want to use Amazon Music, but like this week Apple and Amazon came to some agreement so that now you can use Apple Music as your default music service in your Alexa, so it's fantastic. So if you are an Apple Music listener like myself and you want to turn that on, and now you just have basically all your music both in your car as well at home it's just uh it's fantastic so uh, i highly recommend that um it's a fun way to listen to music and the other one a little bonus recommendation i'll give you is i uh went to the the, the movies with my son the other day and we saw this the new spider-man movie which is like spider-verse or oh something. yeah 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 and I saw that. uh that, I, that was gonna be a recommendation too oh did you see that movie did you see it yeah so i saw it with my my, my kids yeah. yeah i was like i don't know what i would like love to hear your take it's like i was i was welcome i was very happily surprised again i yes. was like it was a very yes. it's a little um by no means uh, not as vulgar but it has a little deadpool in it where they have like oh, yeah. some guys yeah. kind of like fun and so it's like oh I know. Again, great job. I just want to say great job to Hollywood these last two weeks. I've seen, <laughs> I have now seen two movies with my son that I've thoroughly enjoyed, and it was, yes. it's been fantastic. So, well, uh, I, I'm waiting for for Wreck It Ralph to to get here to Australia. Apparently, it opens on Boxing Day. Uh, Boxing another Day. holiday for you. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's a whole. Do- All right, we'll have to save that for next time. We'll have to get behind Boxing Day. Sounds like another fantastic holiday for us. So. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we want to wish everyone a great holiday season, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.